And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is Dr. Peter Hammond. And Peter, it's an honor once again to have you on with us. Oh, thank you, Dan. Good to be back with Redeemer Broadcasting. Uh, Peter, you have a heart for missions, and um, you, over the years, have gone even into the war zones, Mozambique, Angola, Sudan, etc., delivering Bibles to persecuted Christians in Africa and Eastern Europe, etc. You are the founder and director of Frontline Fellowship. Um, There's something that's rather current. I thought maybe we could talk with you Uh, Because the news here in the States sometimes is pretty biased, and you really can't get your hands around what the real news is at this point. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the unrest, the civil unrest that has taken place uh, over the various months in South Africa? Uh, Can you describe it for our listeners? Certainly. uh, It's been quite traumatic because... uh You know, starting on the 9th of July uh, this year, uh, we had what has been described as the worst and the most destructive riots and looting sprees in the history of South Africa. Now, that's saying something because we've had a lot of riots, we've had a lot of looting sprees, we've had a lot of violence and terrorism. So, to call it the worst seems possibly uh, hyperbole by the journalists, but actually, no. Uh, The the, the devastation was absolutely staggering. Mm. Just to give you some of the the numbers involved in this. So starting on the 9th of July, so not even a month ago, and uh, still continuing in some areas, um, they caused 50 billion rands worth of damages. Now, you're talking about that would be in American money, uh, something in the region of um, maybe, uh, oh, maybe 20 billion U.S. dollars, no, sorry, maybe two or three billion dollars in in U.S. um, uh, currency, uh, talking about that, Um, more more than three billion dollars in damage and stolen items. Now, over 370 lives lost officially, but um, there's some places where it seems it's much more than that. So one town, Phoenix, uh, we've got a Phoenix in South Africa too, (laughs) um, and they have... 300 unidentified bodies in that one mortuary, which asking people help to identify. Most of the people who died were looters who were trampled to death by other looters in the scramble to loot stores. Oh, if you can imagine that, that just boggles the mind. But uh, what, what we're talking about here is uh, 40,000 businesses impacted, 40,000. Over 200 shopping centers, shopping malls, complexes that have been looted. Uh, to to give an idea, is just in one uh, municipality of Durban, 150,000 jobs were lost, just like that. Mm. And 40,000 businesses wiped out. And 90 pharmacies, now we call them pharmacies, you might call them a drugstore, were destroyed, looted beyond recovery, leading to the closure of all Dischem pharmacies and Clicks pharmacies, an entire province of KwaZulu-Natal, which is huge. Entire fridges of insulin and medicines looted from the pharmacies. Oh, dear. Not only all the shelves looted, but even the pharmacy computers with entire patient record databases lost as a result, which means that hundreds of thousands of patients will need to make appointments with their doctors to have new prescriptions issued for their chronic medication requirements before any more can be – that's assuming they can find more of those products, much of which was looted or destroyed uh, or even burned down. 
And so you could just imagine the ripple effects and how many people may suffer and even die for lack of chronic medication because they need a script and so on. 113 cell phone towers vandalized. Um, KwaZulu-Natal is a key place for sugarcane. And so, uh, believe it or not, uh, they managed to have something in a region of uh, $3 billion worth of lost revenue uh, just in uh, uh, sugarcane burned. 353,000 tons of sugarcane lost to arson during the middle of the harvesting season, which means everything that needs sugar price is going up, of course. Uh, the South African Property Owners Association says that the destruction of their uh, businesses that are related to them, uh, over 20 billion rands worth of damage in the last week. So, again, that, that would be uh, something like $1.5 billion. Um, the, the destruction is not just in terms of material that was looted and um, shops that were burned, uh, shopping malls, uh, but entire warehouses, uh, hospitals looted and burned. Uh, it's absolutely staggering. So uh, just consider this, that there were 300 uh, uh, automatic teller machines or um, uh, card machines, bank machines, that were looted of just one bank, Nedbank. Um, over 1,400 uh, teller machines, automatic teller machines, were looted uh, in KwaZulu-Natal during this time. There was... Such an uh, attack on even community radio stations. Oh. Community radio stations like Mamalodi, which is a Mamalodi FM, it's, it's a black radio station, not only vandalized, not only all their broadcasting equipment, microphones, computer stone, but even the transmitter smashed. Now, oh there's, no, there's no benefit in that. This is just, this is why many people are calling it an insurrection, calling it terrorism, calling it domestic terrorism. Um, and in fact, it's more than that. It's economic sabotage and yes. uh, a phenomenal destruction. But consider this, uh, that uh, there was, for example, NGOs who care for the poor. One mega warehouse of Ford, Food Forward SA, their main warehouse in KwaZulu-Natal was looted and vandalized, forcing it to shut down operations. Now, Food Forward SA supplies more than 4 million meals a month to the poorest of the poor through 1,200 non-governmental organizations. So think of the ransacking vandalizing of its main warehouse left them with no stock, forced its closure, and meant that all those people who were going to get their meals, millions of people getting meals over the next month, you know, nothing. And they don't know if they'll be able to ever recover. And, uh, you know, affecting 1,200 NGOs caring only for the poor. So the destruction, and in many cases, and we've seen the video footage, and fr friends of mine in KwaZulu-Natal uh, were sharing the videos with us, of seeing large numbers of police standing by and doing nothing, oh, being mere yeah. spectators, while people are looting shops. And you just thought, what do you pay your taxes for? Why do we have a police force? Right. Why do we have an army if they're not mobilized when you need them? And they were there to force you to wear masks and to stay off the beaches and to enforce COVID, lockdown madness and all of that. Um, then the police and army were out there in force kicking people to death, beating people up, shooting oh, people. To yes, oh, to enforce the lockdown, it was very severe here. But suddenly when it comes to looting and destruction of shops and shopping centers and hospitals and 50 schools destroyed as well. And when you, when you look at all of this, why were the police not involved at all? They were literally standing by doing nothing. And uh, literally the people were told, you're on your own. They were phoning the police saying, 
You're on your own. And it wasn't just the police on own. Some local police stations were surrounded with riotous mobs. Uh, one policeman, Captain Satoli, uh, in Mayville near Durban, he had only four police officers at the station. And uh, he was between a fuel station and a supermarket, which he knew were about to be attacked because he could see all the messages on social media. They're coming to burn it all down. And he contacts the superiors and they say, no backup available, no reinforcements, you're on your own. And oh, my. So not just abandoned by... Uh, not only did the police abandon the people, but the police were even abandoned by their own superiors. That's right. Yeah, you know, you raise an interesting concern here, some similarity. Um, here in the States, um, some of our cities have um, political operatives <laughs> who say, well, we want to defund the police, you know, and then and then um, things just get worse because the police are just not there to to um, enforce law and order. And uh, but there's something else that's happening. I'm not sure people are aware. That is, the police are getting discouraged, and they realize, wait a minute, my higher ups no longer have my back. I'm getting, you know, I, I'm getting pretty close to retirement. And it's getting miserable in here. I think I'm going to go now. <laughs> and you know what? I've I personally know people that that have done that. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, how many more can we lose before we have massive riots and looting here in the states? Yes, and of course we saw it did happen last year with these BLM riots. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, this this looks like on the same level and probably motivated by the same ideology and the same kind of Marxist agenda. Well, uh, the police that we know, and we've got quite a lot of police friends, they said, we have been asking not for months, for years. We need tear gas. We need rubber bullets. Sure. We don't have enough ammunition. And even when they knew this was coming, I mean, this was not a surprise. Uh, The extent of it was, but those people in the security industry knew about it. The private security companies knew it was coming. The uh, police knew it was coming. The National Intelligence uh, State Security Agency, they knew it was coming. And they were sending reports about And the police were saying, we need tear gas. We need rubber bullets. Sure. And nothing. Not even given ammunition. So uh, uh, along with the staggering reports of the catastrophic criminality and all this communist-inspired chaos, which cost billions and hundreds of lives, has come inspiring stories, though of some heroic individuals mm-hmm. who actually rescued their neighbors and protected shops and industries in the community and even protected the police from rampaging oh mobs. So there was some amazing situation. For example, this uh, policeman I was talking about, Captain Satoli, uh, he's a Zulu policeman in Mayville. Uh, he's told by superiors, you're on your own. He's only got four policemen, so counting himself, that's five. And their shopping center and fuel station is about to be attacked. And uh, he knows that their plan is not just to loot, but to burn. And he's between the two. And if the fuel station goes up, so does the police station. Oh, yeah. And he said he he knew he had only one choice after calling his high-ups and told you on your own. He called the local uh, community forum. And he said within a short while, 60 armed citizens turned up. (laughs) And he said they were able to drive off the marauding mob, protect the supermarket, protect the petrol station, and provide the police with ammunition. The police didn't have enough ammunition to manage, to handle this. And the local citizens provided. Now, that's extraordinary because the same government that we've got here is trying to disarm the private citizens. They're trying to introduce a bill right now, which 
is to take self-defense out as a legitimate reason to own a firearm. So that, you know, you could only have it if you're a hunter or something like that. Mm-hmm. And But you couldn't have a firearm for self-defense, which would mean no pistols and so on. And, and it was these civilians, uh, even sporting groups, which came to the fore and started providing shotgun ammunition and things like that that sure. needed bird shots on to the police. So not only uh, were the um, c- citizens able to protect their own, but they were able to protect the police when the police were not being protected by their own higher-ups who wouldn't even supply them with the ammunition they needed or crowd control measures like tear gas. So wow. uh, it's, it's a staggering story. So here I've got this quote from this uh, police captain Satoli in Mabel near Durban. He said, if it wasn't for the community forum, our garage would not be here. <laughs> the shopping center would be looted. He said, you can go to the suburbs around us, nothing. Clearwood is finished. Montclair is finished. There's not a shop standing. There's not a petrol station operational. They're all gone. He said, but this community stands. No shops have been looted here. Our place is safe. And it's because of citizens who, as he said, they left their homes, they left their comfort, they left their safety, and they stayed out all night uh, manning roadblocks, uh, doing access control, uh, providing barricades, providing ammunition to police who are out of supplies, and protecting their community. And, and there's actually quite a few examples of this around the country. And here's an extraordinary fact that I don't expect to be broadcast on your uh, communist news network or on the Bolshevik <laughs> Broadcasting Corporation and so on, or Sly Magazine. But here's the fact. The police didn't restore order. The army didn't restore order. Local citizens restored order. Local private security companies restored order. And the police and army came into a situation that had already been stabilized by the local communities who had weapons. And if they hadn't had weapons, who knows what would have happened, and this would probably still be going on. That is a remarkable story, and it shows the the appropriateness of um, the local citizenry um, being prepared, being armed, being able to defend themselves, and being able to restore order. I think many times we tend to place too much faith and confidence in the police. In the, you know, we love our police. Don't get me wrong, I really do. But uh, there's just so much they can do when the command chain is perverted above them. Yes. Now, uh, today we're talking with Dr. Peter Hammond, and he lives in South Africa. So this stuff is very real to him more than it is to us, because we don't live where he does. So, dear listener, listen very carefully. Now, Peter, um, do you ever struggle with the idea that here's people that want to attack me, and yet I, I love them and I want to witness to them, I want to give them Bibles, I want to help them. Um, How do you work through that tension? Because you certainly have had to do that. Yes, I have. And um, I must say, I've got a very strong call. I know that the Lord's called me, and I know that the Lord forgave me and rescued me out of the kingdom of darkness. And I, I feel to whom much is given, much is required, and we're saved to serve. And I have understood from the earliest that we called to go even to our enemies. And so, I've been going into communist and Muslim and restricted access areas and war-torn areas. So uh, I don't suppose it bothers me as much as it may bother other of my friends and congregation members. and uh, <laughs> uh, Quite a few others are quite horrified thinking, you know, here we're just trying to help them and just trying to take them gospel. And here they're throwing rocks at us and petrol yeah. bombs. And um, So 
is many people can get discouraged, but when we think that when we were Christ's enemies, he died for us, Amen. I think it, it, it puts a balance to it that, that the fact is there but for the grace of God could die. And uh, I'm astounded. Now, there have been times, even in Cape Town, where I'm based, where, uh, which you'd think is a safer place, when I've had to be dodging on my motorbike, uh, burning tires and rocks being thrown at me while I'm trying to mm. get down the road to a Bible college and so on. And I've had times of going to fetch someone from the airport and every vehicle on the main road leading out the airport was burning on the road. There's, there was no cars moving except wow. a police armored car. And uh, I think I saw one ambulance in the distance passing on the other side. And I drove the whole way from my home on the main road with burning tires, burning barricades, burning vehicles. And, uh, you know, you can imagine it's it's adrenaline pumping, nerve-wracking. And people on the bridges above you, pedestrian bridges crossing over the highway, standing up there with rocks and pieces oh. of concrete slab to drop on your car as you drive oh. past. And you've got to swerve as you're going under it, and you've got to come out at a different spot or lane from where you went in because they're going to be dropping these things on you. So That's right. um, I've been... I've done that. It's, we've <laughs> dodged rocks and burning tires. And some of us in South Africa have taken it as just, you know, it's part of our occupational hazard. And <laughs> but uh, uh, during this time, what's so inspiring is the Good Samaritans. And so, for example, uh, there's one community up in Johannesburg area who drove 32,000 loaves of bread to a vulnerable community in Durban at their mm. own cost, providing their own security, literally with people riding shotgun. By that, we mean literally sure. riding shotgun with this uh, 18-wheeler pentechnican to take food to a community where they'd lost everything. And another community organized a chartered flight to bring in essential supplies to an area where they were besieged by riotous mobs and they needed medicines and so on. And there was one amazing farmer, a, a Charles van der Merwe, who provided sanctuary for transporters, truckers, who were en route to Richards Bay. Richards Bay is one of the uh, main busy um, uh, shipping ports in, in uh, KwaZulu-Natal. Hill. And the trucks are being targeted, and they're big targets, and they can't easily get off the roads. And they're being firebombed and looted. And So this one farmer provided sanctuary for transporters en route who were stuck on a highway who couldn't go either way. And so near this farm's near Pongola, and I've seen the... Aerial photograph, absolutely extraordinary. He provided for 600 stranded trucks, came onto his farm. He opened up his farm and provided them with sanctuary. And you can imagine a logistical challenge. Friends from the local congregation uh, brought food in to help and provide for them. And uh, just it didn't have to be very creative to provide washing facilities and hygiene facilities Then put up uh, temporary uh, places where they could shower and so on. And uh, just some amazing groups another sport uh, shooting group that brought in their reloading equipment to the local police station. They were uh, providing, they were literally cranking out um, shotgun ammunition <laughs> for the police who were besieged and being threatened yes. with being overwhelmed by plundering hordes. So it, it was a really uh, tumultuous 10 days. Uh, in some places it continued longer. Yeah. But as I said, good armed people stood up to evil and triumphed. And uh, uh, the government's, was trying to even disarm the very people who were making a stand. And to show you the irony, the government had in one of their police compounds two container loads of imported ammunition, 1.9 million rounds of ammunition, which was stolen out of a police compound by plundering hordes. Oh. 
Uh, and so, you know, you can just see it, it's almost like they put it there to be plundered because their policemen all over the province had no ammunition to spare. That's they literally right. were, uh, so, you know, if we do anything, we're going to be out of ammunition quick because we don't have a second um, magazine and that sort of thing. Wow. And yet the, yet the same government that can literally provide a gift of almost two million rounds to the rioters, um, they won't let their own police officers have enough ammunition or even rubber bullets. It's just wicked. It's wicked, and and it's uh, like an insanity. It's 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 suicidal. This now these people that that riot and loot and destroy property and um, caused one hundred and fifty thousand jobs to be lost and over two hundred shopping centers to be shut down. Um, what are they trying to accomplish? Why are they doing this? Mm. I believe it's to fulfill what. Um uh, Lenin called, he said, never underestimate the power of constructive chaos. And by, what the communists mm. mean by constructive chaos is they've got a Darwinian view of social theory so that just like Darwinists might believe that there was a big bang once upon a time, there was nothing, then there was something that something exploded for no reason and it became everything. And uh, so the idea is, uh, if you're a hardcore Marxist-Leninist, you will believe that if you can blow enough things up and burn enough things down, paradise will come out of it. Wow. And so I think what's inspiring this is the Marxist idea that we've got to destroy everything. And out of that, ashes will arise paradise. Oh, my. Now, contrast that. Let's. Oh, this is beautiful. Nice setup. <laughs> contrast that with the Christian view of, of transformation in this world, if you would. Mm-hmm. Yes, where we believe we must love our neighbor and we must love even our enemies enough to give the gospel to them and to help them when they're in need, you know, provide water to your enemy, yeah. to provide medical care even to your captured enemy and so on. Uh, so love in action. So we believe not in revolution. We believe in regeneration mm. and reformation and revival. So uh, destruction is the essence of Marxism, of the revolution. But uh, salvation and transformation and redemption is at the heart of the gospel message. So you can't find two more contrasting views. We want to build things up, and they want to break things down. Yes. Uh, we want to extinguish the flames. They want to start the flames. Uh, we want to love our neighbor. They hate and want to kill the neighbor. So uh, they are working to destroy the economy. We're trying to build up the economy. Mm. We're trying to give. They're trying to loot. So, yes, I, I, I think we can only talk about a contrast. It's, we are worlds apart. Communism or the revolution and their their whole religion of compulsion and force, it's totally at odds with everything that Christ stands for, everything that a Christian should stand for. I love this theme of love in action, and uh, I hope that people can catch a vision today. You know, even even if you're not a Peter Hammond, maybe you don't get around as much and have missionary activity. Maybe you can only give. Maybe you can pray, which is... Very, very important and powerful. But, Peter, uh, folks need to be encouraged not to give up. Um, mm. Tell us a little bit about where they could learn more about your ministry online and possibly even support. Thank you. Yes. Oh, well, we need all the prayer, support, and backup we can get. This is a spiritual warfare. And I must say, though, that bad times are good for spiritual work. Our biggest enemy is not opposition. <laughs> our biggest enemy is apathy. And uh, yes. right now, 
in Africa, apathy is at a low ebb because people are people are scared. People are shocked. A lot of people are out of work, and you can imagine, or uh, long lines for food or medicine or fuel. It's it's, it's it, this is the result of criminality. So uh, if people want to visit our website, I've got reports and pictures on this that you can actually see what I've been talking about. Um, FrontlineMissionSA.org. FrontlineMissionSA.org is the website. My email is peter at frontline.org.za. So you can get hold of us on social media as well, Frontline Fellowship or Peter Hammond. And uh, uh, I must say that it's so important that we prepared. And uh, I was led to write a book some time back for this very sort of purpose, Security and Survival Handbook, encouraging people to be prepared. You know, Do you know your neighbors? Do you belong to a neighborhood watch? Uh, are you part of a community forum? Does your congregation have a security committee? And do you have a regular sport or exercise routine to keep fit and healthy? And I even encourage martial sports like fencing and sword fighting and archery and target shooting and so on. And uh, the important thing is we need to be prepared and our family needs to be prepared and our congregations need to be prepared. Um, the Bible says a prudent man sees danger and takes precautions, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. That's in Proverbs 22 verse 3. Mm. So uh, working as we do in a, in a very volatile, war-torn uh, continent, the needs are great. And I must say, the impact for the gospel is great because in the darkness, the light really shines brighter. So uh, I hope people can learn from what we've been experiencing here in Africa and enrich your churches in the States. But uh, as you know, uh, instability and violence can come to your neighborhood too. And we need to be prepared and we need to be praying and we need to be evangelizing our neighbors so that we can be a community that stands together when the time comes because it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. We need mm. to be prepared ahead of time. What I like that uh, we've heard today is that you both have, in, in view, you have preparation as well as outreach. It's not one pitted against the other. It's both and. Uh, today our guest has been Dr. Peter Hammond. Uh, he's a friend. I've never met you in person, but we've talked a number of times, and he is the founder and director of Frontline Fellowship. Uh, one last quick question in 30 seconds. How is your wife doing, Peter? Uh, Lenora needs a lot of prayer. She's still battling with cancer, has been for 11 years, and this is her fourth bout in, in 11 years. And she's been in great pain for most of the mm. last year, and for eight months she's been limited to uh, crutches and so on. So uh, oh. that's, that's very discouraging. She's still as active as she can be uh, with book projects and so on, but she likes to be out and about. Mm. So. Uh, I think it's very discouraging to be physically um, restricted. Dear listener, please remember uh, Lenora Hammond in your prayers. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Dan. God bless and uh, may God make you fast and accurate when the moment comes. <laughs> Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 